Amen. Well, we're in a series here called In Living Color. In Living Color. We launched this back on Easter Sunday. Seems like forever ago, right? We launched it back on Easter Sunday as we were talking through the truth that Jesus Christ is risen. There is life in him. There is hope in him. Man, as we grasp that there is life in Jesus Christ, then know this, that same life pouring into us, we can now have life. Life because of his life. And so as we talk about in living color, we're talking about this vitality, this vibrancy, this amazing moment of God doing a work in you so that his eternal life begins to pour over you in a way that you've never experienced before. May we be fired up about what it is to be with our God, for his presence to be experienced in our life, right? That's what we're talking about, in living color. And so each week, as we've gone over these, we've been talking about the different facets of God and how he expresses himself into our life. Today, we're going to be looking at a splash of guidance. Like, we are not left alone to just wing it. We have God literally with us, the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us. We have hope and we have life because of it. So as we dive into the passage today, we're going to look not only at the command statements, but the how-tos of it, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. And uh, the first point, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And uh, as we get going into this passage, we're going to come right out of verse 16. So it says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. I'm just going to hold right there as we continue to walk this through. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. This word walk, it, it literally means everything you think Everything you want or desire, everything you act on and decide to go after, it's like the whole of your life, that's your walk, right? And it's in the command form here. Do this, walk by the Spirit. Do this, command form. But it's more than just in the command form, it's in this ongoing continuous form. Do this, keep on day after day walking by the Spirit. Make this an ongoing part of your day and your life. We talked a little bit about this last week, right? With the be filled with the Spirit. And so we looked at what being filled by the Spirit means and how to even be filled by the Spirit. Let's just be super clear. You cannot walk by the Spirit if you are not filled with the Spirit. You cannot walk by the Spirit if you're not filled with the Spirit. Super important we grasp that. I mean, you can fake it. Along the way, you can do things to make your actions or some of your words look like the Holy Spirit might be impacting you. You can make it look like the Holy Spirit's impacting you, but the only way you are actually walking by the Spirit is if you are filled with the Spirit. So it's super important we grasp what filled with the Spirit means. If you weren't with us last week, make sure you get back and listen to that sermon and And if you were, just a a quick reminder, just walk through a a little bit of it here. Be filled with the Spirit. Remember, this is literally to behold 
and be still. To be in awe of who your God is. And then to drop your arms, stop the fighting, and to say, okay, Lord, you're in charge. Please forgive me. I admit this was wrong. I'm done with that. I want to turn to you and go after you. Behold and be still. Right? That's if, if you want to put it this way, that's setting the sail on the boat. Right? Remember, it's a really important deal that we uh, set the sail if we're going to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's some illustrations out there about being filled with the Spirit, you know, like the glass of water and it's half full and then you fill it the rest of the way. And, and uh, the problem with that is it makes it seem like, uh, like you don't have all of the Holy Spirit, but then after you're filled, now, now you have all the Holy Spirit. That's not really what's meant by it, right? What's meant instead, it's not about the amount of the presence of Him, it's the impact of the Holy Spirit that's being talked about. Being filled with the Spirit is having high impact from the Spirit. So if you remember, maybe a better analogy or illustration is the sailboat. And we talked through a couple of illustrates last week. Let's just throw one of these slides up. This is the first slide we talked about. So as you talk about sailboats and the sail uh, catching the wind, this sailboat is really not in a good spot to catch any wind, right? The sail is down. And so really you're in this awkward spot where there's no empowerment for this boat from the sail. It's sitting there. It's now really at the whim of whichever way the breeze kind of blows the waves and the waves start to move it. And so you start to see the, 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 basically the movement of the water starts moving this boat, but not the movement of the air. And that's a huge problem. For a sailboat, it's completely missing it, not empowered at all. Here's the second pick. And uh, so this picture, you can see the sail is billowed full, right? Filled with the wind pushing it. Now this boat is clipping along through the water and moving, empowered, directed, right? This is filled with the Spirit. Your sail set and the Holy Spirit filling the sail so that you are now directed and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. To be able to get your sail set so the Spirit can move in your life, all right? Lord, may my sail be full as you are impacting me, and Lord, may I set it there. Be in awe. Like, God, you're awesome. Lord, you're stunning with who you are. I'm in awe of who you are. Man, that thankfulness and that worship is a huge part of setting the sail. And then the second part, and because of who you are, I'm done with my sin. Lord, please forgive me for I turn from that. I'm running with you. What do you want done? That is being filled, okay? So like I said, if you're not filled, it's going to be impossible to walk by the Spirit. And, and so our goal here is to make sure we are first filled with the Spirit, and then our goal is to now direct in a way that we agree with the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Just so you know, that word in the original language for the word not, it's in a, a form of negative that's extra powerful. It's like you will definitely not, right? Everybody just say definitely not. Like think about it, you will definitely not gratify the desires of the flesh if you're walking by the Spirit. It's really important you grasp this. There is never a moment when you're walking by the Spirit that you're going to think the flesh move is the right move. That's just not going to happen. And as you walk by the Spirit, 
the desires of the flesh, literally the flesh cravings here. It's not desire like, oh, that'd be nice to have. It's like, I've got to have this, right? Have you ever had one of those moments where you're going through your day and whatever it is, right? usually it ends up around food for us where the word craving comes up. We're like, I gotta have it, man. I can't pass by that. That looks unbelievable. And the flesh craves in every facet. It craves for me. Always me. The flesh is not a well-thought-out, kind, gentle individual that sort of considers the well-being of all. Flesh is, what do I want right now for a feel-good moment? Me. Right? And it's like, just so we're super clear, the desires or the cravings of the flesh, well, they will not be gratified when you're walking by the Spirit. And uh, praise God for that. And, uh, you know, this desiring of the flesh is actually something that we have to kind of throw back to. Let's just cover this next piece. It says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. Like, I don't know if you've ever grasped that before, but the flesh will never say, you know what, we should really worship Jesus Christ right now. That would be a brilliant move. We really should do that. It's been a while since we've been about him. Let's make it a little more about him right now. Flesh will always make it about self. And the Holy Spirit is heading in a very other direction with that, okay? As we talk through this, remember back to the series we did back in January, February. If you were with us, we talked a little bit about what it is to battle sin and to properly battle sin. And we were talking about what is the lay of the land inside of me? What's going on in my soul, right? And this whole complexity inside, if you remember, we talked about the flesh as like this sea of selfishness, right? We have this sea of selfishness inside, and floating on top of the sea of selfishness is this boat, our mind and spirit, right? And so the flesh, mind, and spirit, they all kind of come together. The flesh is this constant, it's always about me, and the boat is the sort of the mind and the spirit working together. If you're saved, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in him, then the capital S, Holy Spirit, steps into the boat with your little s spirit. And now your spirit and the Holy Spirit and your mind working together, that's the boat afloat. That's you, saved, declared out, God doing a work, the mind and spirit on top of the water, you. And the flesh is this raging of selfishness inside, right? If you remember, we talked through those pieces and somehow how to handle it, but remember the boat gets pushed down on like the world or, or the devil pushing down and you see the edges of that boat dipping down. And as it dips down more, all of a sudden the flesh kind of just flushes into there real quickly. And all of a sudden you've taken on sin of selfishness. Those are the moments as a believer where we're going along, we're worshiping, everything seems to be okay. We start drifting a little bit and all of a sudden we're like, never mind, it's all about me now. And we have this sin moment. It's when the boat dips down, our mind and spirit take on the sea of selfishness for a moment, the flesh. And we're like, that sounds like a great plan, let's go that way. And all of a sudden the boat gets righted back up, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, we really need to get after this, that needs to go. Let's get the boat righted. Let's get that uh, flesh out of here. And we start bailing the water out with the Holy Spirit. And that's the, Lord, please forgive me. I repent and I'm turning. And the boat gets righted up again, right? We walk through this throughout. Our, this is our day, right? 
We are constantly in a battle with this sea of selfishness and then our boat that's floating a little tenuously, right? Have you ever stood up in a boat? Like, that's really tenuous, right? I got to believe there's a lot of times where the Holy Spirit's like, sit down. Like, we've got this. Work together with me on this, right? And that's a lot of what we have going on here is we got that same understanding of this sea of selfishness, this flesh raging and the desires of the flesh, the waves of selfishness will never, ever, ever be a worship statement about your God. Never. The worship is going to be coming from the Holy Spirit moving with your spirit and your mind properly grasping that's the direction to go. May we walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, right? May God get all the glory in that. And um, let's just say this, the desires of the flesh, flesh will always cry out, me, right? That's always what it's about, me. And the Spirit is the opposite of that. So if the flesh is always crying out me and the spirit is opposite, well, then the spirit is always crying out. And it's good to hesitate. You're like, I don't know, maybe you? I don't know, maybe God? Like, what's the answer? And the answer is, it's God, it's others, it's, and it's also me. The spirit will always cry out us. That's what the spirit cries out. God first getting the glory, others being cared for in, and then you coming along. God's not like, I don't care about you at all. Just make it about others and me. That's not it. Unity in all of it coming together, right? And so the flesh is like me, and the spirit is like, nope, God first, others, then you. It's us. Grab this together. It is us. It's a unity along the way. And so the Holy Spirit declaring out, worship first, then care for others, and we'll make sure you're cared for in this us. While flesh goes, nope, me right now, please. Constantly opposing each other in what they stand for. Matthew chapter 22 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, right? Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself, others, right? As yourself, you, right? And so you get this Jesus, others, you, the J-O-Y. There's a joy that comes in the us-ness of it all. That's what we're called to. So the flesh is a me plan. The spirit is on the us plan. It says, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Please know this, when Paul talks about who you are, you are not your flesh. See, the world really gets this wrong. The world often says, man, you gotta be true to yourself. Like whatever you're feeling inside, man, be true to yourself. But I'm telling you this, Paul says, it is no longer I who sin, but it's the sin in me. There is a separation. Once you are saved, the mind and the spirit, Holy Spirit comes on board in that boat and the I is the boat. You are the boat afloat and God is going to be doing a transforming work on your boat over the course of time, one degree at a time. And it gets to a point eventually on the other side in eternity where that is absolute perfection and flesh is then gone. Praise be to God. And all of God's people said, hear me, man, flesh will be gone. Not this side of heaven. This side of heaven, we're wrestling with what it looks like as God allows us to grow along the journey. It's a huge deal that we grasp it. And... Uh, Paul says, I, 
don't sin, it's the sin in me. Here he's saying, you want, right, the Holy Spirit pressing in and you're thinking this would be great, wouldn't it be awesome to care for them or to glorify God in this way? And then all of a sudden, the flesh of selfishness comes roaring in and drags you off in another direction as the wave splashes over the edge of the boat and you take on some me and you start turning into a sin moment. And he's like, I, I know, you're thinking it's got to change. Lord, this has to stop. Please forgive me. And, and right, but the reality is this battle goes back and forth between spirit and flesh, this side of heaven, until we get to that side of heaven, right? That is what's going on. And um, God doing this huge work in us as he continues to handle the opposition along the way. It says here, for uh, it will keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, it's in the passive form, like you're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, you are not under the law. Like it isn't about some kind of my actions earn salvation, right? Works don't, everybody say works don't save. Works don't save. I don't get saved by my works. I don't keep my salvation by my works. Please hear me on that. And what the Holy Spirit is doing as he calls out here is it's clearly in alignment with God as he brings a mercy moment and salvation in. And the Holy Spirit allowing us to be led in a way where we can honor Christ. God getting all the glory. It's a huge deal. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, if you start picturing what this war looks like of the flesh and the spirit, all too often when we picture a sailboat kind of clipping along, we picture it in sort of a smooth water, nice breeze, and the sailboat's going along. But quite frankly, most of life maybe looks a little more like this. Let's pull this illustrate up. And um, this is probably a little more of what life can look like, is the, the cravings of self, the flesh rising up, the waves crashing in and pressing. But he's saying this, Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. He's not saying, look, you see this pick? I get it. In this moment, you're just going to sin. That's just the way it is. Yourself is just all over the place. You're going to lose the battle. He's not saying that. He's saying, walk by the Spirit. This boat, if the sail is down, this boat's going wherever those waves go. The waves of the flesh will drive it all over the place. Maybe even tip it. Water taken on sin all over the place. But when that sail is up, full mast high, billowed up, catching the wind, that boat can start clipping along the tops of these waves, riding in and above, and the waves of selfishness do not come on board. Man, please hear me. To walk by the Spirit does not mean, everybody say not, it does not mean that your flesh isn't craving. It means you're not listening. That is a super huge deal. To walk by the Spirit. The, the waves may be frothing, they may be banging, but the reality is the Holy Spirit is filling the sail. You are filled with the Spirit. He is guiding and directing, and that boat of yours is literally staying on top of the waves, not going under. May God get the glory. Right? Walk by the Spirit. This is what it looks like as an image. So simple question. And are you, is your sail set? Are you filled by the Spirit? Are you beholding 
and being still? Are you confessing the sin that needs to go while you're in awe of your God? Are you letting the Spirit lead? Or are the raging waves of the sea of selfishness taking you on a trip? Lord, may we listen to you. May we walk with you, Holy Spirit, as you guide. Okay, that's the first point. Second, properly recognize the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. Properly recognize the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh. You know, as Paul is writing this now, he gets very crystal clear about what he means by flesh and what he means by spirit. So he says here, the works of the flesh are evident. Like these are really obvious. You can see them. They are visible. They are plain to the eye. And now he goes into some lists, all right? So the first three are really in the realm of sexuality. The first three are in the realm of sexuality. And this is the flesh banging me. I don't care about anybody else and I don't care about God. Just satisfy right here, right now. So here we go. The first word, sexual immorality. This is really any kind of sexual interaction with another person outside of the marriage between one man and one woman. This is sexual interaction of any sort outside of the marriage, okay? And that's called sexual immorality. Any action taken up just to feel good in the moment. And then he says impurity. Uh, This is like an uncleanness, whether in thought or deed. Impurity. This is where your mind starts racing, your wants start rising, you start reasoning through, wouldn't it be awesome if you love to entertain the thought of, and and you continue to allow yourself to think on it. Impurity is what usually leads to sexual immorality, okay? It's the thinking and the feeling and the uncleanness from within that ends up bleeding to outside and then eventually to the actions. And then here's another one, sensuality. This one is all about the feel-good. And in this case, being in the list it's in, the sexual feel good. Like I'm going to go after whatever I want to do to satisfy right here in the moment and that's it. I don't care about anybody else. I don't care about God and his plan. I don't care about my spouse or I don't care about my boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't care about anything. I just want. This is a moment of feel good along the way and the flash Yeah, the flesh rises up with this kind of reaction, right? Not caring for other people, but jumping in and taking sex wherever it fits to feel good. And uh, spiritual, that's the second collection of flesh moments here, the spiritual elements. And this is idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is literally the worship of anything other than God himself. The worship of anything other than God himself. Usually we choose to worship something that gives us payoff. Usually we choose to worship something in some way that gives us an immediacy of a feeling or a win in somehow, right? And so this idolatry is I'm lifting something up and ultimately I'm really just lifting me up. That's idolatry, me before God. And that's how I want it to go down. And, uh, and then the other one here is sorcery. The original language for the word sorcery there is pharmakia. I don't know if you can hear it there, but it's pharmacology or pharmacy, Right? And so this is really the use of drugs to be able to induce some sort of demonic interaction, right? Today, we might call this something more like witchcraft or whatever, but they would use drugs to either somehow anesthetize or stir up, and then there would be this much more open interaction with demonic forces. They called that sorcery, but they really labeled it by the drug impact that went on with it. 
man, playing around with drugs can have very deep, dark uh, openings to the demonic forces working in your life. And he's like, be careful. The flesh may choose to talk about drugs. Watch out for the impact that it might have. And um, sexuality, spirituality, and then the social. And uh, this is where the flesh starts raging against other people. Uh, The first one here, enmity. This actually is in the uh, plural form, enmities is what it's really talking about. So it's not like I hate different people, right? Enmity really means hatred. This is more like a collection of people that I have a hatred against. This is like bigotries, massive divisions, starting to have problems with whole groups of people, whoever or wherever. Really big deal. Enmities. And then strife. This is a discord. A natural result of hatred is Strife, right? You can imagine if you're like, I can't stand this whole group of people over here. You you can imagine that would bring a little strife in the room, right? He's like, just know this. It's coming. Strife and enmity, strife, jealousy. Now, the word jealousy and envy often get uh, combined and misunderstood, but really jealousy is about what you do have and basically being protective of it. This jealousy is like I'm self-hoarding. I don't want to share it out. Jealousy. This is mine and I don't want to share it. Jealousy. And, and, uh, and then there's fits of rage. Fits of rage. So the fit of rage, you know, it kind of starts in that moment where something happens you're not really happy with and you're kind of bent. You know, you're like, why did that go down that way? I wish it wouldn't have gone that way. But then we take the next step over. We're like, you know, it just really shouldn't have gone that way. The more we think about it, the more we process it, the more we reason with how wrong they were, we get just a little more amped, right? We're like, that should not have gone that way. Then we start moving into anger. We're like, I'm actually really standing on this. That is wrong. Our anger starts rising up. Fits of rage is the next step, even after that, where we just lose it. We're like, I can't stand it anymore. That's just so wrong. We just explode in this fit of rage. We almost don't know what we're saying as it comes out. I have no control anymore. What you did is just untenable at every level. And we're screaming it out. Fits of rage look to use the volume and the word choice to drill them down. Fits of rage. It's the end point of toying with anger. Be super careful we can get to a point where we start to use our raised energy levels, our raised tones, and even harsh words to really hammer. And it's your flesh saying, I matter. How could they have done this to me, right? And uh, fits of anger. And then um, rivalries, rivalries. This is actually where we uh, take in an understanding of a person and what they're going after, and we think, I can compete with that and I can beat them, right? It's self-aggrandizing. We're like, I want to get ahead, rivalries. Um, I worry more about how many I have versus how many you have. I gotta have more, right? And then there's dissensions and divisions. This is where we split it, we don't unify it, right? And of course, when you put all those other words ahead of it, you're going to end with dissension and division. And... Uh, And then the last one here is envy. Like I said, envy and jealousy are the opposites. Jealousy is you do have it, you don't want to share it out. Envy is you don't have it, they do. And you want it from them. Why do they get to have that and I don't? Envy. And uh, you want to possess what is rightfully others and take it on for yourself. 
And then the last set here, there was sexual, there's spiritual, there's social, and then they put alcohol misuse, uh, drunkenness, and orgies. And a drunkenness, this means excess. Taking it into excess so it impairs your thinking, clouds your judgment, that's drunkenness. This is not saying don't even have a drink of alcohol, it's not that. This is saying don't be drunk. There are other passages that talk about when to and when not to have alcohol and certainly not causing others to stumble and being wise with it, but always and forever, whenever you go after alcohol, it's don't get drunk. No clouded judgment at all. You know, I mean, you hear a phrase today kind of like... um, Oh, I got a little buzzed. And uh, just so you know, that's drunk. Like we're trying to put other words to it to make it sound a little less, but our judgment gets impaired or clouded. Like, Lord, no clouding of judgment, please. And uh, careful with that along the way. Drunkenness, it's an impaired thinking due to the alcohol taken in. And then the other word here is orgies. We actually think of that word very differently. It gets used much more sexually in our society. But this really meant anything that went along with wild selfishness. You think about it, it follows with drunkenness. I mean, bottom line, drunkenness is getting to the point where it's all about you, right? Nothing good comes next, right? Once we get drunk and we have impaired thinking and we're all about me, nothing, it's not like after that you're like, you know what? Yesterday I got drunk, went out and mowed my neighbor's lawn, and then cleaned the whole house for my wife. Just thought I'd help her out. Like, that doesn't happen, right? Bottom line is drunkenness always leads to something way more selfish and way more ugly. And that's what he's saying here. Like, watch out. Drunkenness, it leads to orgies. This is anything taken in in max to self. It could be sexuality, it could be food, it could be anything. Just lavishly enjoying self after losing the impairment from the alcohol. And, uh, and then he says, um, and things like these. I, I love that moment. Paul's like, enough with the list. I mean, you get the idea, right? That's, that's what he's doing. He's like, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things out there going wrong. He said, and I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, now let's just camp on that word before we move forward, Those who do such things. This word is actually a word. um, The word do is simple. It's direct. The best word for it is probably continue practicing in an ongoing fashion. Like I'm not ever going to say I'm sorry. I just keep on doing it. If you want to go back to the boat analogy, the boat is tipped underwater, sucking in water all the time. It's constantly about the sea of selfishness. It's capsized. That's where the boat's at. This boat is in full capsized moment and never comes out of it. It's always about doing these kinds of self-absorbed things. He's like, just so you know, the ones who do those things, who practice them in an ongoing fashion without any repentance or confession, will notice what it says next. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not, that's heavy duty, man. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not saved. Here's the bottom line, dude, if the boat is capsized complete out and it is constant sinful selfishness, flesh being taken in, never cares about others, God Almighty, that's not it. I am constantly capsized. That's not saved. Never confessing, Lord, please forgive me. I was wrong on this. This needs to change, God. That's not saved. And we got to hear this. It is so important we get God does not toy around with sin. 
And all of God's people said, and he's like, listen to me, I understand it's a journey and I understand there will be growth along the way. And I understand that you will have sin in your life that you will be wrestling with, but you will be saying, Lord, please forgive me. And for those who ignore what the Holy Spirit is pressing in on and for those who couldn't care less about sin and the Holy Spirit isn't in the boat with you, that's not saved. If you're in a spot where you're there today, you're like, I am definitely practicing a sin and I do not and I don't care to ever say I'm sorry. Man, now's the time for salvation. Please hear me on that. Now's the moment to say, God, I'm done. I recognize Jesus, you died for me and you rose for me and I'm handing my life to you. Drop your arms. Be still. Confess it over, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. Please forgive me. And that's saved as God begins to do a work, okay? He's saying here, don't kid yourself to say some lip service words, but it never ever affects your actions. Well, that's not saved. Does not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about eternal life there. So now he goes to the next. But the fruit of the spirit, so we just got done talking fruit of the flesh. What does it look like when the water comes raging into your boat? That's what we just talked about. Now, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit has control of that boat and is doing an amazing work, right? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is, here we go, love. Love, this is literally a self-sacrificing care for others. If it doesn't cost you, you have yet to achieve this level. This word love, agape love, is about self-sacrifice. This is Christ on the cross for you and for me. Love, self-sacrifice, and joy. This is a deep rejoicing, no matter what the circumstance. Joy rejoices, and peace is a deep satisfaction. There's just a calm in the midst of the storm. Okay, and the two usually go together, joy and peace. There's a rejoicing and a calming in the middle of the storm. That's the, an identity moment that the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, joy and peace, and then patience. We've talked about this word over the last several weeks, right? The word long is built right into it. Long suffering. Like it means taking a hit for someone else. And often we'll be like, I'm taking a hit, but the point where it hurts, I'm done. That's, that's not patience. The point where it hurts is where you're just starting to be patient, right? Long suffering. It's a huge deal. Patience and kindness, benevolence, and willing to share. You're willing to care. You see a need and you want to reach in. Right? Kindness and uh, goodness. This is an action that is always measured by how it impacts another person. It's a positive impact on another person. Always positively benefiting somebody else. Goodness and uh, faithfulness. This is being trustworthy along the way. What you say is what you'll do. Faithfulness. And then self-control. This is self-mastery. This is the ability to avoid the flesh washing into the boat. This is being able to fence line well. This is being able to flee when the waves are getting too high. This is being able to fight when you're being pushed down under by Satan or whatever. This is being able to grasp. This is a time to battle. It's back to that picture with the Holy Spirit sails set filled in, clipping across the tops as the flesh is roaring, you're still keeping it clean. That's self-control. Holy Spirit having an amazing impact in your life as you lean on him. It says, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. 
Like God's not measuring against these and saying, please don't do that. And any moment and any time, always bring these elements. These are always green light, always good, always phenomenal. May God get the glory. Against such there is no law. And uh, it's a huge deal as we watch God show through the Holy Spirit who we can be and who he's taking us to look more like. It says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, there are those who read this and they're like, crucified the flesh? Well, that means the flesh is dead, so I don't ever have any struggle with the flesh. But 1 John chapter 1 says, if you say you're without sin, well, then actually you're lying and you're not doing the truth. Like, so what are we doing here? What's going on? This crucified, it doesn't mean dead and gone. It means dethroned. Okay, that's what it means. It means your boat was capsized, but he has set it right up. It means the waves don't have the authority in your life as when you're capsized and just constantly taking in selfishness. Dethroned. You have the choice to lean back in. You have the choice to allow that flesh to impact. Or you could say, nope, not listening. Dethroned. The capsized boat is righted. Praise God, Holy Spirit doing a work. Man, please hear me. We are stuck in our sin, in need of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit offers this moment up. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. There is hope for you. I will right this boat right now. Are you in? In the moment we say, God, I'm believing in you. I'm confessing you. Take over, Lord Jesus. You're in charge. Whoosh. That boat is right side upped, man. All of a sudden, he clears out flesh, and he starts whispering and talking and changing and building the edges of that boat that God might get the greater glory. And all of God's people said, we have hope because the flesh has been dethroned. And our God is doing a changing work in us. Praise God. And it is awesome to see God do a change in us. And I'll just tell you, um, our family has gone through quite the little journey over the last several years. And uh, it's actually been a journey with food. And uh, along the way, just trying to figure out who's allergic to what. I don't know if you got that going on in your home, and I don't know if it's just the change in what's going on in society and what's going on with the different types of uh, food products that we have now, but man, there has been so much more sensitivities in our home that we've come to grips with, and actually one of them, for, I'm just very sensitive to a lot of different dairy product elements, and, and have always kind of known that, and I, I remember one time my wife, my wife and I were talking a little bit, and I was, she was like, hey, I made this, and I'm like... I can't have that, baby. That's got cream in it. And she's like, you can have cream. And I'm like, no, I can't have cream. I'm allergic to the dairy product stuff. She's like, no, you can have cream. I'm like, I think I know what I can have. And she goes, no, you can't have it. I made it last week and put it in something. You were fine. <laughs> so I'm not allergic to cream. And uh, we've now verified I'm no longer, I'm not allergic to cream, I'm fine. Trying to prove that out, we're good. So we've been trying to walk through, and it is, a lot of it's experimental along the way, right? As you try to figure out what's good for you, what's bad for you, what hurts you, what doesn't hurt you. That's exactly what Paul is listing right here. Man, how is your spiritual diet? 
What's good for you? What's bad for you? What do you need to stay away from? Just stay away from this. It doesn't work for you. This is where you need to be. Man, may we not feast on the things of the flesh. May we feast on the things of the Spirit. And all of God's people said, how's your diet? How is your spiritual diet? And how are you doing at going after the things of the Holy Spirit? May God get the glory. Last, let the Spirit guide you. Let the Spirit guide you. And uh, last two verses here, he says, if we live by the Spirit, this word live here is actually the word zoe. It means eternal life. This isn't just talking about daily life. It's saying if you have eternal life in him, if he has given you that moment of the boat was capsized, but it's now uprighted, you are saved. There is eternity guaranteed for you. Man, if you have eternal life because of the Holy Spirit's work in you, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now that he's given us life, let's walk with him, right? Let us keep in step. It literally means to follow along with. It means keep your sail set and let the Holy Spirit fill the sail so that as he empowers you, he is directing, leading, and guiding you and you are walking with the one who is gloriously perfect. May we go after the Holy Spirit. He says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now here's the catch, man. As soon as you start to get your walk together, as soon as some things start happening where God is showing some great success in your life, I'm telling you the next thing that comes along is, I must be awesome. All of a sudden, we get this really happy moment about ourselves. And we're like, boy, look how good, look at what I got together. And so he talks about, uh, two sides to the same coin of pride, okay? And he talks about him next here. He said, don't be conceited, right? Don't go after conceit. What is conceit? Conceit can best be, stay with the illustration here, of the boat and the sea of selfishness. Conceit is when your boat is dry, you've been clipping along, things are going great. So you decide it would be a genius idea to stand up on the edge of the boat and go, do you see all that I am accomplishing with my God? Look at me. And as you're doing this, the edge of your boat is doing this and it just takes on water and the sea of selfishness comes flooding back in. And the moment you decide to celebrate what God's doing, be careful because what's right around the corner is a prideful moment. And he says, make sure you're careful of the two edges of it, or the two sides to it. First is the provoking one another. Provoking. This is where you are so sure of the fact that you're doing it right that you make sure everybody else knows they're doing it wrong. This is you get a little rough with people, you're getting a little firm with people, you're challenging a little too hard, you're clipping in and they're feeling bad about themselves because you're trying to show them how wrong they are and how right you are, provoking one another. It is a prideful moment that is damaging to the soul of the other party. Don't provoke. Don't attack from a position of I'm right, you're wrong provoking one another, and then the other side of it is envying one another. Provoking is, I'm awesome, you're not. Envying one another is when you're like, do you see what I have accomplished? Wow, that guy's got more on the ball than me. I wish I had that. I wish I was like them. You're starting to look around and compare. And in the comparing comes the collapse. 
Either you're provoking or you're envying. Either way, conceit is getting the better of you. You're bouncing on the edge of the boat and the thing is going under and you're taking on water. Sin of selfishness coming in. Lord, may I walk in a way where you get all the glory. He says here, no provoking, no envying. Let us live by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit. And all of God's people said, please hear me, man. The Holy Spirit is alive and at work in you. You are not alone. Please hear me. If you are saved and you are trusting in Christ, capital S Spirit in your boat with you. And if you fill the sail up, you set it hard and you hang on as you worship your God and as you confess any sin, you watch God do an amazing work as you start clipping across the tops of the waves not getting sunk by the desires of the flesh. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, that's being guided by the Spirit. Let's pray. 